The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hope. Messages of Hope. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode. This is Suzanne Giesman. I'm an evidential medium, spiritual teacher, and former Navy commander. I don't bring that one up every week, but today it's important because my special guest is retired U.S. Army Colonel Jill Chambers, a friend of mine, a former colleague of mine at the Pentagon. In fact, Jill was the uh, the MC of my retirement ceremony. Uh, she served 30 years in the Army. That makes me look like a short-timer with 20 years. But uh, Jill has quite the story to tell. I, I'd like to bring her in before I go into some of her background. But we're going to be talking about a topic that applies to just about everybody, any human being, because we all have our ups and downs. And she is an expert in the topic of resiliency. And I'm going to let her define that for us. But first, let me welcome retired Colonel Jill Chambers. How are you doing, Jill? No, I'm doing great, Suzanne. Thank you so much. You know, a lot of people say, it's one of the most frequent questions I have is, what do your former military colleagues say when they find out you're now a medium? And the answer surprises most people, and that's that I've actually lost touch with most of my military colleagues, because Ty and I went off sailing right after I retired, and we sailed across the ocean and we're running around the Mediterranean on our boat for several years. So we just kind of drifted apart, no pun intended. But you and I, Jill, we, we met up a few years later. And by that time, I was already on the spiritual path. But it turns out that uh, you were quite interested in it as well. Oh, absolutely. And I was so happy. You did reach out probably three years ago on Facebook. And it was such a such amazing timing for that. And I was so happy to reconnect with you. Because you, I mean, if you think about it, when we were at the Pentagon, it was you, myself, and Penny Bailey were the only three female officers, you know, specifically in that joint staff area. Um, and we that's, had each other right. as, as comrades. So it was, it was us. So when you reappeared, it was like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We we worked directly for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and I had forgotten there were so few women there. I guess I got used to that over the years working in the military, just normally being around so many men. But uh, for those of you listening, I just have to give you a little insight into what Jill is like. First of all, she's uh, um, 
she's an itty bitty thing. And as compared to the, the chairman that I work for, General Shelton was six five and two hundred and fifteen pounds. And uh, um, Jill is is still to this day so exuberant, so effervescent. She's just a pistol, but she's not your typical army officer. I. I put on Facebook for to entice people to listen to this show. You won't believe what this full bird colonel had, whose picture she had on the wall of her office at the Pentagon. So I'm going to let you share that, Jill. Well, okay. So two of my favorites. I had Gilligan and Donnie Osmond on my wall. <laughs> Gilligan, as in Gilligan's Island Gilligan. and Donnie Osmond. Yes. I, I remember the first time I walked in your office, I hadn't known you that long, and I was just I, – I just – was so impressed by somebody that didn't have to live up to the stereotype and was just willing to say, hey, you know, I like having fun in life. And in fact, you, you got to meet Gilligan recently, didn't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Just, yeah, while we were stationed at the Pentagon, they actually had a thing called the three-hour tour. Um, and Gilligan, um, Ginger, Marianne, and the professor were all there. And we literally went on a three-hour tour out in the Washington Harbor there. It was hilarious. <laughs> Um, oh, too but funny. I was just so happy. It was on my bucket list. <laughs> Plus, I was <laughs> actually, um, you know, uh, president of his fan club when I was in fifth grade. So this all worked out great for me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of funny. This that makes a great segue because what we're talking today is not about pe- the the necessarily the fun and easy and lighthearted times in life, but it's the challenges that inevitably come to all of us in life and how to overcome that, and you do that by being resilient. And we're going to talk about what led you to really become an expert in resiliency, but why don't we start by having you define resiliency? Sure. Um, the easiest way, you know, there's, there's hundreds of definitions really on resiliency. It became such a buzzword over the last several years, but really it's just having this capacity um, to recover quickly from difficulties. And there's a whole series of things that resilient people, their, their personality traits, um, things that they carry with them that they've either learned or still can learn. So it's not like you can never become resilient. You, you literally can. And there's wonderful ways to do that, um, specifically through the language of how you express yourself. Wow. So the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. This is a a very relevant topic for the Messages of Hope show because so often we're dealing with people who are grieving the transition of a loved one to the other side. And one of the things that gives us hope is knowing that death is not the end. But you're saying that we can all learn just to change our language to recover? Absolutely. Um, I, and I had an opportunity to work with actually Dr. Marty Seligman out of UPenn when we were developing a resiliency program for our service members. And, and this was so simple as what he said is that um, just being careful about how you express yourself in the way it's, it's either personal, permanent, and pervasive. So, and, and, you know, I didn't, when he explained this to me, and as we've explained it to our service members, um, I've been doing this all along. I just didn't know it. Um, which made me very happy um, because it's really helped me through some challenging times in my life. But here's a great example. If, if, you, if, you, if someone said, I always fail at math, I, personal, always, permanent, fail, pervasive, hmm. you just set yourself up to really fail at math. And it's funny, in, at least for me, um, in situations where things haven't gone exactly right, um, let's say I, I didn't do well on a math test. My language would be, 
I didn't do it really well on this pet this time. I'm going to have to do better next time. Uh, mm. you know, just There's just a way to say that. Um, and the other thing, and of course, I've shared with you, and I've, I've said this so often in my lifetime, to look at situations and instead of saying, why is this happening to me? Even when you say that, you can feel the energy in the room just sink. But yeah. I choose to say, hmm, why is this happening for me? For me. I, eat, I feel uplifted right away. So in times of adversity, when I use that language, it really helps me to become emotionally strong, spiritually strong, and look for, and sort of great military terms, well, then what's plan B? Okay, if plan <laughs> B didn't work, then let's go to plan C. I just, I don't, I don't look at, at what's going to, you know, really the negative pieces of things. I just, I just feel like there's a way to work through things. And I loved, oh, Leanne Hall, when she was speaking the other day on your show, um, what the epitome of resiliency, the way she spoke about um, what she's been through and how she's tempered her life to work through situations. Yeah, she she talked about noticing the triggers, and she had a sure. box of tools. I'm going to just repeat that in case anybody didn't hear who you were talking about. That was my guest, Leanne Hull, whose son Andy took his own life, and she's such a strong woman and gave some wonderful advice for anybody who's dealing with uh, death through suicide. All of all of these shows are in the archives, so you can look that up. But I love that you recognize, just l- listening to that, you said, there's resiliency. Huh. Right. So let's let's back up a little bit here and and why don't you tell our listeners about the events that led you to this journey of understanding resiliency? Sure. Well, um as you know and you were there too, um had um was there at the Pentagon on 9/11 when the plane crashed in. Um it was a horrible day, obviously. Um and, you know, just dealing with a lot of where the plane hit was actually a place where a lot of um, my cohorts uh, worked. I was an adjutant general officer, so it was the personnel side, at least on the first floor of where the plane came in. And it just, um, you know, I, could, I had to stop going to funerals. I just couldn't do it anymore. But I didn't understand what, you know, it was a part of me at first that just started to block things out. Can um, I interrupt you a second, Jill? You, you, sure. you personally knew uh, a number of the people who were killed that day at the Pentagon. Oh yeah, there were there were twenty three that I could name that I was oh. you know, personally grew up with because it was all that was the AG side, the Adjutant General Corps side. So it was personnel, and they, those were my cohorts. And you know, at that time, you know, now we're much older in the Army, so these were you know lieutenant colonels and colonels I grew up with as a lieutenant. So wow. you know, it was. Um, yeah, it was just a, it was a very trying time. Um, and, you know, and there was a three-star general, General Maud. Uh, right. What, what was his role? He, I know he was the most senior officer who was killed that day. Right. Did you know him? Um, I did. Yes, I did. He's, he was the G1, so he was like the father of all personnel people in the United States Army. So, you know, every, any person who was a personnelist certainly knew him. Um, and okay. yes, he did. Um, he did lose um, his life that day. Okay, um, we'll talk about him yeah. later because I know you have a story about him. So I actually didn't right. realize you knew that many people there. Wow. So sorry to have interrupted you. Go on, and, and you you started to notice things in yourself. You were blocking it out. 
Right. Yeah. I just, you know, didn't deal with it. It was, you know, I mean, and I'm sure you remember too, when you walked back into the Pentagon, how surreal all that was and yeah. how quiet it was. I mean, it was ridiculously quiet. Um, and, and then to smell the bit. smoke in the, in the hallways, oh. the lights are out and, and, and uh, yeah, it was quite the time. Oh yeah. Cause I know you actually went into the depths of things cause you were with the chairman at that point, walking him to the area um, but yeah, you had the smell on your uniform, it's in your skin, it's on your hair. Um, so all those kinds of really um, amazing triggers that just, it's, it was very stressful. Um, but as you know, too, working at the Pentagon, you're, it's, you got to move out. There's things to be taken care of and things to do. And honestly, it took literally nine years from 2001 till the time I retired in 2009 to actually understand that I had some post-traumatic stress. Um, going on with myself, but, um, and it, you know, I know we're going to, we may talk about this too, but what is interesting and what I hear from so many of the people that you have on your radio show are the people that are actually experiencing post-traumatic growth. And that's the part of that the resiliency of people um, that, and there's all kinds of research out there about this on how people handle those kinds of situations. And it's not that you're going to get over it overnight. It does take time, but when you realize that, that there's a way to speak about things and the resiliency that you have, and like Leanne talked about, then know what to surround yourself with to help yourself grow and move through all of this spiritually as well as emotionally, um, it, just, it just helps. And again, I think every person that I've heard you speak with, um, because they have gone through some, some very significant stressful and emotional times, is that they have found post-traumatic growth in um, the helping parents heal. I mean, my goodness gracious, I just, I can feel it when I listen to the things that you've posted. It's fantastic. I mean, listen, uh, those of you listening, have you ever heard that term post-traumatic growth? We don't focus on that. We, we focus on the, the syndrome, the disorder, instead of the right. fact that, listen to Jill here, she's talking about by by learning about resiliency, you can actually experience growth from your traumas, which is just a whole new way of looking at things. Yeah, it's just it's so it it's just amazingly interesting. I and I really you know I'd heard about post traumatic growth and I was, I was excited to actually think okay, um, I must be feeling this because I do I'm 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 really feeling okay emotionally spiritually. Um, but I had a chance, and, and I won't go into real depth on this, but I think you remember Michael and I went and saw Dr. Daniel Amen and had went, did the brain spect imaging. And he was able My, to Michael being her up, husband, who we'll talk about a little later as well. <laughs> um, he was actually, and it was so interesting, because they, they really measure and be, you're able to look at the blood flow that's happening in your brain. And he, so I could see a picture of my brain. It's very different from an MRI. And he looked at it, he looked back at me, and he looked at it, looked back at me, and he said, see this triangle right here? And it was like in a capsule, but it was a triangle of dots. I said, yes. And he said, um, this is a clear indication that you have had a post-traumatic experience. He no said, way. but do you see how it's in capsule? You know, it's like in a capsule. I said, yes. He said, well, then you've experienced post-traumatic growth. And I thought, hmm. well, there you go. <laughs> Didn't know it was there, but it was kind of fun. I've been looking at my brain, and it's like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. (laughs) So I thought you were going to say that he could see that you had experienced the trauma 
but he could actually tell that you had grown from that. Well, he could, he, um, he, there's a certain pattern when you do have the trauma and that was there, but because it had a capsule around it, he was able to identify that as growth. And there's, wow. there's much more research and, and scientific pieces on all of that. But my simple takeaway from that was awesome because he was able to show me the brain um, scans of others who have post-traumatic stress um, that don't have that capsule around them and they're still experiencing the symptoms of post-traumatic stress and haven't really quite moved on yet. That's fascinating. And and what were some of your symptoms and what are some of the other symptoms for, because I know that a lot of people don't may not even real, realize they're experiencing that where even the death of a loved one can cause that for people. So the symptoms? Sure. Well, mine, you know, for my specific um, instance was just nightmares. I mean, I, honestly, um, Suzanne, after the, the plane hit, I bet I had nightmares five or six times a week of just burning aircraft chasing me. Um, hmm. So it was just such a lack of sleep. But, of course, you know, you know what our jobs were. We didn't have time to be <laughs> not working. We we had to just sort of keep plowing through. Um, so between the not sleeping, um, just nightmares, um, just kind of jittery and kind of like like a donkey on the edge the whole time <laughs> was just, you know, in the Pentagon. And it was the triggers were amazing because if I would walk back down into the hall where the plane hit, of course, they redid everything. Boy, yeah. I, there were odd things that I was like, why, why am I feeling this energy? I don't understand this because I hadn't really talked to you about this yet. <laughs> this was way back then. So it's like, what's yeah. this energy? And then, you know, kind of flashbacks. And, um, you know, then the smells would trigger it. And, of course, getting on an airplane after that for a while was like, uh, this isn't happening. Um, but, of course, in our jobs, we have to. So yeah. you just you know, that's, you plow through. The, the, exactly. I mean, the Navy, we have this expression, and we, Ty and I still use it all the time. You know, you just suck it up. That's a Navy yeah. term. I don't know <laughs> if you have the same term in the Army. But I remember yeah. that you know Washington Airport was closed for three weeks after 9-11, and I had, you know, in that short period of time, you forget that the flight path took the aircraft right over one side <laughs> of the Pentagon, and it was right over my office. And I remember I didn't realize that they had reopened the airport, and all of a sudden, here's this aircraft on close approach coming in right over the office, and I just panicked. Now, I didn't oh. experience the nightmares like you did, and I... Yeah, uh, and all of that, but it, I can see how you would not recognize that that had been affecting you. Now you went on to be selected by the, of a successor to the chairman that you and I both worked for to do a right. special um, study on stress in the military. You want to tell us about right. that? Sure. Yes, I was selected then to be the special assistant for what they called wounded warrior issues. For Admiral Mullen, and he had asked me to go out and find out what what is going on with our service members. Why are so many of them coming back, but they don't? There's nothing visible wrong with them. There's no broken legs. There's no broken arms. Um, no burns. What's going on? And and it was a real um, step in an amazing direction for the military to start recognizing the invisible wounds. Nobody wanted to talk about that. So when I did, you know, I went out for almost 18 months talking to our service members and just, you know, getting stories of what they'd gone through um, in battle, both in Iraq and Afghanistan. And you went over there to to talk to them in the field, right? Absolutely. Um, You know, I could feel it too, but 
you know, these were the ones that were actually out there kicking down the doors and then they would come back into, you know, the home base and I could talk to them. And, and it didn't take long at all for me to realize, okay, you need to start talking about this because there, there's got, there's got to be a way that we can actually begin to, and, and it's true, you can actually build your resiliency and be prepared in advance for adversity. Huh. And, you know, of course, the, you know, the civilian population, it, it's a little bit different because you don't really think, oh, I better prepare myself. There's, I'm going to face some adversity. But, of course, in the military, and you've got service members deploying, chances are really, really high that something's going to happen. So that was the goal, and that's how I met um, Dr. Marty Seligman. Um, reading his book, Learned Optimism, started the whole thing about what resiliency, hmm, well, interestingly enough, the civilian population has been talking about this forever, but the military, and I, Suzanne, it was tough because there were a lot of general officers that said, we are not going to talk about this. We are fine. We're going to look weak if we even step out and start mentioning anything about this resiliency and, you know, mental fitness. No, 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 no. And there were a couple of people who were supportive of me to say, no, you need to take this, you know, after Admiral Mullen said it. You see, this is a big issue. We went to General Casey, and General Casey, bless his heart, was the guy who dropped everything and said, all right, we're going to start talking about this. Because resiliency wow. is important. It's for anybody on, on any path. To have I mean, I'm skills. just thinking about those who are listening who who have no connection with the military. What about, you know, ultimately many of us will face a, a, an illness of a family member or all kinds of serious situations that if you sure. learn – now, to to have the right kind of language and to to recognize your thoughts when bad things happen, there is it is important to be prepared. The, exactly, you're absolutely on target. Um, it's it, it, for any situation, and to be able to have that language, it certainly worked for me, and I've I've seen it work for so many others. Just the way you speak about things, and again, I'll, I'll pull back on on Leanne because she was so. So good at that, and I—I I think if I remember correctly, I recall it. Some people were actually looking at her like, "How in the world can you be so happy? What? Wait a minute, you're not doing this right. You need to be sad." And she just had a whole different way of looking at it, and a, a belief system, and and faith, and knowing that her son was okay, and um, you know, it just makes her better. And not only that, it, it makes the rest of her family better. It's going to make grandkids better. It, it just has an amazing ripple effect. So learning those skills, um, it's just, it just helps everybody. No doubt about it. Now, those of you listening, I hope you'll come back. It's not quite time for the break, but come back after the break because this Army Colonel I'm talking with here now talks about <laughs> spirit guides just like I do. So we're going to get into that in the second half. But as a lead into that, we had mentioned uh, your former, the head of the Adjutant General core uh, general right. Maud, who was killed on 9-11. Um, in fact, I think he was my general's next door neighbor when that happened. And, oh. and it's true. We just didn't, I remember not even people, we didn't even talk about it that much. You just get on with the mission. So right, we have right. a new chairman now and you're working for the new chairman. What happened um, regarding general Maud with that chairman? Well, um, I, my, one of my former bosses, um, he, this is where the, the spirit guides, and this is where all of this sort of came into, hey, you know, I really do believe in this, and I'm so happy that somebody else is actually able to talk about it. So what happened, um, 
they, one of the, the executive officer to General Maud um, survived um, just in a dramatic way. He survived and saved an awful lot of people. And there was a one morning I was walking through the halls of the Pentagon. This was probably maybe six to eight weeks after um, the, the attacks. And he saw me, and he just came racing at me, and he grabbed my shoulder and gently, but with determination, pushed me up against the wall. And he's like, I have to talk to you. Like, oh, my goodness. And I do have permission to share this story. He's, he's, he knows this. Um, mm-hmm. I said, well, okay, so what? He said, well, you know, over the weekend, my wife and I were walking through a strip mall, and she wanted to step into a beauty parlor to make an appointment. So they did. They'd never been there before. And when they walked in, one of the beauticians stopped what she was doing and turned around, walked up to them, and she scratched her head, and she said, look, I'm, trust me, I'm not crazy, but I really have to ask you, did your father pass away recently? And, of course, they both looked at each other and was like, well, no. And she said, well, okay, I, uh, there's, there's someone behind you that's asking me to, te- to share with you that everybody is okay. Of course, now they're just, you know, surprises can be, and a little bit freaked out about the whole thing. And they weren't sure who this person was, and then all of a sudden this woman said, look, this gentleman has got silver hair, He's kind of short, and he's taking. He's got his arms up by his shoulders, and he's brushing both of his shoulders. And he's well. They knew immediately it was General Maud because General Maud. That was his thing. He couldn't believe he was a three-star general. And every now and then he just had this mannerism where he would pat his shoulder boards, just kind of rub oh, and go, wow. "Whoa, look at this!" So oh. it, it was. It was definitely him. So when that story was shared with me, um. I thought, okay, this is cool. They are okay. Okay, this, this I, it was just, I wanted to be on now a journey to really understand um, wh- where is this coming from? And I want to understand, I want to learn about this. Um, and of course, it took some, some time later for you to come into my life to say, <laughs> no, Jill, this really is true, which then I had a whole backwards effect of thinking about all the things that have happened significant in my life where of course my guides were there. Um, my parents and grandmother who have passed, of course they've showed up. I, yeah, I have. Don't tell those stories yet because we don't have enough time before yeah. we go to the break, okay? Sure, I want to have everybody come back and we're going to hear some of the great signs you've gotten and continue our talk about resiliency. But, you know, it's it's the, the thing that's a shame is that here we are, you and I, two senior officers, retired, and we still haven't. We can't talk about mediumship in the military. There's a transition. There's a group that helps people who have loved ones who have passed. And I've tried and tried and tried to get to speak to some of those groups, and they're just not ready. But we're opening doors. So I hope you all will come back after the break. We're going to continue our talk with Colonel Jill Chambers about resiliency. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
takes you to power Unity Online Radio. If you'd like to make a positive difference in the world, you can by contributing to this global ministry. Unity Online Radio relies on listeners like you to support our broadcasts that send our messages out to an awakening world. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate Today. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Rev. Wendy Craig Purcell from Unity San Diego discussing change and transition. And as we begin to really identify the endings in our lives, to deal with them completely and wholly, to heal from them as we must, as we are willing to be in a time of not knowing, a time of uncertainty, but a time of trusting that there is a blueprint, there is a plan, there is a destiny. As we move successfully through these experiences, we will find that we are evolving and emerging into something new and different. And everyone and everything that has been happening in your life, both the things that are easy and good and pleasant, and those things that are challenging and painful and difficult, are drivers for your own evolution. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Take time out for you and join other like-minded souls looking to build their connection to spirit with the Unity at Sea Cruise in 2019. Experience a spiritual retreat at sea as you participate in a special program designed to help you on your individual journey of self-discovery. Deepen and explore your spiritual growth with Unity ministers and presenters as you enjoy exotic Caribbean ports of call. For all the details, go to unity.org slash unity at sea now to make a deposit by January 30th and save $100. Since 1924, Daily Word has offered inspiration and practical teachings through daily prayer messages to help people of all faiths live happy, healthy lives. The magazine includes two months of daily affirmations, messages, articles, and spiritual poetry to help you get inspired. Subscriptions are available for print editions in large type and Spanish, as well as the digital subscription package that includes the online magazine with audio, smartphone app, and daily email. Get your subscription today. Visit dailyword.com or unity.org. Stretch your mind and open your heart every Thursday at 10 a.m. Central with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien and the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way. Gain insights into spiritual principles that touch upon the most practical aspects of our lives, like work, relationships, health, and diet. Discover time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga, a philosophy for living a more fulfilled life in today's hectic world. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Yes, indeed. Welcome back. My guest today is Colonel Jill Chambers, retired after 30 years in the U.S. Army. Her topic is resiliency, which she defines as the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. And who doesn't have difficulties? I want to tell you just a little bit more about this amazing woman. She directly supported four chairmen of the Joint Chiefs of Staff over an eight-year period. In 2007, she was selected to serve as special assistant to the former chairman, Admiral 
Mike Mullen, to conduct a focus studying wounded warrior issues, specifically in the areas of post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury. She built up this team of experts, spent 18 months traveling around the U.S., went to Iraq eight times, to Afghanistan, to talk to the soldiers and airmen and sailors in the field. No, probably just soldiers with Jill. (laughs) I'm used to you being on the joint staff, Jill. But she witnessed firsthand the difficulties facing returning warriors. Just a couple more things about her beyond that. She is recognized as the first person in the history of the U.S. military to develop a successful strategy designed to reduce the stigma associated with mental health challenges in our armed forces, which is huge. Because again, we're, you know, we, we don't want to show weakness as military people, but it is a fact of life for some people. Um, she retired, and you started your own organization called This Able Vet. Are you still with that? Are you still working with that, Jill? Oh, yes, yes. Um, and I just um, I connect with service members and veterans. Um, I'm really on this path of non-pharmaceuticals to help them, um, just empower themselves um, to be healthy. So I've really had a chance to go out and get myself certified in many different modalities and just have a wonderful understanding um, that some pharmaceuticals are important. I get that. But most of the time, there's really other pathways that could be healthier. Um, So I'm a big fan of that, and that's what I advocate for. And I have a nice um, uh, endowment that gives me the opportunity to actually buy things for people um, when they're really ready to get themselves on a pathway um, and give them tools in their hand and help them uh, just maintain their health. So, you know, you're really on the whole mind-body-spirit path now then, in other words. Exactly, and that spirit path has taken off. (laughs) (laughs) So we were talking about that earlier, that that you and I are some of the few who who actually talk about the spirit world, and now you you realize you have spirit guides. People ask me that all the time. You know, when you're in the military, did you know you had spirit guides? And I'm like, are you kidding? They would have yanked my security clearance so fast. <laughs> she talks to I know. spirits. Yeah, can you imagine? So it would have been fun now if we were actually back there. Well, at least you and I could talk about it. <laughs> uh, and we'd walk down the, the passageway and they'd clear away for us, you know. <laughs> Look out, here come those two crazy... Officers. So, but what is it? What are some of the stories that have helped you to realize there is a greater reality? Well, um, and I, my parents have both um, passed, um, but pro- and, so, and they have just been um, amazing in my life. Now recognizing that, my goodness gracious, they're still here. Um, okay. But shortly after nine eleven, um, it was probably actually it was Halloween. Um, so it was the end of October after nine eleven. You know, I'm still pretty, you know, shaken up about the whole thing. And if you remember correctly, Suzanne, there was also right after that, do you remember the shooter um, that was around? Oh, gosh, that was the same time. Oh, yeah, that guy that was was driving around and he he would be in the trunk of his car and he, he, the sniper. So we were, you know, paranoid enough, some of us, and then to have that happen. So it was, yeah, that was just horrible, wasn't it? Well, just the stress of all that, it was just, it was crazy. I mean, I can remember my daughter and I, if we'd go um, to the grocery store, um, she was freaked out about the whole thing, but, and I tried to just make light of it. So we did the whole animal house, bob and weave sort of thing. And we, you know, get our, just kind of jump around from car to car and sort of make it silly, but really do the zigzag thing. 
um, to try and I was trying to ease her pain, but man, I was on high alert. <laughs> it was, and then was your, your father passed shortly after that then? Well, actually my dad had passed way back in 1985. Mm. Um, but he's, my dad was, he's just wonderful. And this, this, when he was, um, he had this thing about gardenias. This is the whole gardenia story. Um, when he was in Vietnam, he had gone to Hawaii to visit my mom on his R&R. He fell in love with the smell of gardenias, insisted that when he came back to Virginia, he was going to buy this gardenia bush for Jill, me, me of course, because um, he just thought I would be just thrilled about it, which I was. And so year after year, the bush would bloom, and he'd cut off the gardenias. He'd put them in a glass of water and bring them to my room, and it was our thing. This, that was it. It was just he and I and gardenias. So he passed in 1985. It's now 2001. Before, so this in March of 2001, I bought a gardenia bush, and I was told by the you know the nursery that I bought it. They said, and I actually bought it not in um, in D.C. but down further south in Virginia. Because you're going to take that back to D.C. and there's no way it's going to survive. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Well, okay. Um, I bet it'll work for me. So I took that bush <laughs> home and I planted it. And lo and behold, on the, the baby bush, actually, but on the 3rd of June, I came out of the garage getting ready to go to work, and there was a bloom on there. It was my dad's birthday. Oh, bloom, I love when that happens. <laughs> and it was like, oh, I thought, oh, well, that's cool. And then after that, the bush just took off. It, there were so many blooms in that bush that I stopped counting after 100. That's how ridiculous oh. this was. I, I couldn't believe it. But it's true, and, and I have pictures of it. So right after the 4th of July, it just stopped. It was done and done. So it went for about a month of just craziness. Um, so, okay, that was really fun. And I remember thinking, okay, Dad, that, that was cool. Very, very nice on your part. The 21st of July, I pull the car out to go to work. There's a bloom. My birthday. No. Like, really? <laughs> Where did this come from? No other bloom, nothing, nothing else. Now, if anybody knows anything about gardenia bushes, okay, they really do, they get, they get done, at least by the end of summer, in a place where they're supposed to be doing their thing. So no more, no more blooms on the, on the bush at all, nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, so here comes, you know, 9-11 happens, and actually the, the day on September 10th, I went and pulled the car out of the garage, and lo and behold, there were two blooms on that. And I thought, well, that's odd. I wonder what this is all about. Well, I actually clipped those off, put them in water, took them back up to my bedroom before I went to work. Of course, then, you know, come home and then September 11th, go to work. And, of course, everything happens. But my feeling was that there's a comforting thing about that smell because I love when I would roll over in bed at night and I just get that smell of gardenia. It was always wow. very calming and very soothing. And I thought... Okay, I wonder if my dad figured that one out too, because that was pretty nice. But here's the kicker: that so now we're at Halloween. Um, I go to work on Friday morning. Um, we had a boat that was down at the marina at Prince William Marina, which is just a little ways from our house. I remember um, your I boat. Left, yeah, <laughs> I left. Yeah, I left work um, and went down to the marina, and we spent the weekend down there. Well, on Saturday night, I had, I had a dream, and my father was just as clear as a bell in this dream, and he's in his uniform, and I'm in my uniform, and we're standing next to the gardenia bush. 
And he, you know, again, been super stressed now for at least eight weeks here. And my dad looked at me as only a father could to their kid. And it's something so typical he would say. He looked at me and he shook his finger and he said, I've I've had enough of this now. I've sent you a sign. You need to stop worrying. And he pointed down at the bush and there was a big gardenia way down at the bottom. You kind of. You really kind of had to cock your head and bend down to see it. And I remember then waking, you know, Sunday morning was like, well, that was a really nice dream. Thanks. You know, I I love that. That's awesome. So we drive home because, of course, work's the next day. I pull in the driveway, and Suzanne, there's a gardenia on the bush in the exact spot that was in my dream. Exactly. Yay, Dad. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that that was a visit. that That was a visit, not just a dream. Yes, exactly. And I've come to understand that now. It's like, oh, that's, I love that. And of course, now, you know, reuniting with you and really then looking back, it's like, oh, my goodness gracious, he's been there all along. And in the challenges and the good times and the bad times, I've just felt him. Um, but you know, and, and that's that's what about. I hope that everybody who listens to this show comes to start doing to to recognize these signs instead of walking by a bush and oh there's a bloom it's never been there then you say well what is that's unusual what day is today and and recognizing the signs it it makes our loved ones who pull off these feats so happy when we celebrate them. <laughs> I love and I've learned that from you. It's this awareness, Michael and my husband and, and I've been talking about awareness for a couple of weeks now because I've, you know, been listening to um, your training ground and it's oh, just, that's my, it's, Oh, you mean the, the Hemisync CD, the, the Hemisync, medium yes, uh-huh. training ground. Yeah. Right. So I got and, you meditating um, now, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so there's this wonderful signs. Um, when my mother passed um, in 2002, um, she was a heavy, heavy smoker and she knew I absolutely dislike smoke. Um, If she would light up, I would leave the room. I just don't function well with it. Well, she passed and my brother and I were at her house. Um, This is, you know, now we're down there trying to arrange for the funeral and taking care of everything. My brother just, he refused to sleep in her room. He said, I'm going in the guest room. You take her room. I was like, oh, Jay, my brother's name is Jay. He's like, okay, silly boy. Um, so that night I slept in my mom's room and, you know, I'm, you know, laying there and of course you're thinking about things and there's, you know, that when you walk into a house that people smoke in, you smell it initially. And then after a while you just get nose blind to it and you just, it's there. Um, but I was laying in bed and it was about two o'clock in the morning and I'm talking to my mom, you know, just, just talking and there's no question, you know, that's smell when somebody first then strikes the match and lights oh, the yeah. cigarette. It's yeah. super fresh. And that first smell is like, oh, but then it's the smoke. There was no question that, that she lit a match and lit a cigarette to let me know that she was there. And I sat wow. up and I just looked around and I said, you have got to be kidding me. How is this <laughs> happening? But of course she was, I'm, I know now I can look back and go, she's telling me she's okay. She knew yes. that would make me laugh, and she knew that that was the one thing that would make me sit up and go, "Oh, my mom's right here." So just, yes, I just, I just oh, love, I love it. And there's been, you know, several others over now the last year or so that that Michael and I have just become aware of. So 
the, the things that you're sharing and the work that you're doing, I know is helping so many people. It's well, it just it feels good. It it is good. I I love that that your your husband Michael is coming along with this too. I want to tell people now this is so much fun. Since she retired from the army, since I knew her before, Jill has married country music star Michael Peterson. And we have had the pleasure of sitting in their living room in Las Vegas and having a private concert by Michael. We got to attend his show at Branson. And you two met through the USO, isn't that correct? He was singing with the USO? Well, he was doing some work with, with the Army, right. Um, so, and yes, and, and that part. And I was actually director of strategic communications at the time, so I was actually ordered to work with him. <laughs> I was just following orders. They didn't say Marion, but it worked out okay. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And now he's having he's getting signs from the other side himself. Oh, he is. And he's it's been you know, I, I understand from you too, and I've heard you say this that everybody's on their own journey and it's been for me because I've been so excited about it and I feel this awakening in myself, I wanna I wanna tell people and I want them to follow and and I want them to tune into you and I want them to listen to you but they have to they have to want to. I can't control that. Yeah, so I've sort of done a backstroke on that, but Michael is such a supporter and early on after we, you know, reunited with you a couple years ago and I just really began to understand about um our guide, there have been times where Michael's looked at me when we've had some challenging moments, um, and he's looked at me and he said, Hey, could you do me a favor and ask your guides to kind of help us out here and just let us think things through. And for this first couple of times, it was like, well, yeah, sure. I'm sure they won't mind. And finally, I looked at him one day and said, you know, you have your own. Oh, good <laughs> <So> for you. <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll ask mine to get in touch with yours <laughs> to start nudging you. And honestly, he has had, he is so intuitive. And when he taps into that, you know, just how he's, He's, he's made up and the way his soul functions, he's so open to things that if he's introduced to it, he'll spend time with it and nurture it. And he is now having just all kinds of, we'll be on a walk and he'll, you know, he'll just, birds will follow us. I mean, birds will follow us for miles, the same bird. <laughs> and he'll, he'll notice it. And so what do you think that is? And I said, I don't know. Let's just enjoy it. Um, but he's, it's just very, very fun for him to be starting to recognize things too, because we can talk about it. Beautiful. So, so how do you work in your new awareness of the spirit world and spirit guides and your loved ones being with you? How does that play into the whole topic of resiliency? Well, I mean, that's a great question because it, it really makes all the difference in the world because of the way, um, you know, again, I'm, when I, the way I speak, um, you know, it's specifically now when we're facing challenges and I'm saying, well, why is this happening for me? Well, um, I, I feel a resiliency in myself to be open to then, all right, um, guides, um, help me think this one through. And I love that you, you often talk about taking responsibility. It's not like they're, you know, they're just going to make everything perfect for you. They're, they're guides to help you think and participate and what, what, yeah, I love how you say it about earth school. I've used that a couple of times and people raise their eyebrows like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but it's, exactly. it makes such a difference in the way I'm, um, 
approaching um, new challenges. I mean, we're, you know, it's, it's, I look forward to every single day. What's going to happen? Because I don't feel alone. Yeah. Um, I feel confident about my guides there, and I feel confident in myself because of the resiliency that I have. Like, okay, um, here, I, I have a, actually a perfect example of that that just happened last week, if you don't mind me sharing real quick. Oh, please do. Well, we were in, uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, we had taken a, a, a limousine, actually, from our hotel to Reagan Airport and getting ready to fly back to Vegas. Michael gets the luggage out of the car. I pull my little wallet out of my zipper pocket of my pants, and I'm paying the guy with my credit card. Done and done. We get out. We get into the airport. I go to reach for my wallet. It's not there. And we've all experienced things like this. And it's like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's a credit card, my ID card, and my driver's license. I couldn't even check in my bags. It's like, okay, let me think. And the first thing I did was, Okay, this isn't the end of the world. And, you know, I didn't let any drama come in. Wow. The second thing I did was, okay, um, guides, I know this happened for a reason because this is a lesson for me, um, but I really need everybody to work together here because I really want to get my wallet back. <laughs> so I did a couple of deep breaths, and Michael was as calm as could be. He was great, wow. you know, no fussing, like, well, how did you do that? What happened? Blah, blah, blah. Like, I think it fell off of my leg before I put it in my pants. It's in the back of that limo. So I went back out to the curb. We didn't see it. I said, okay. And part of this might be some happy army training too, but I just felt like, all right, this is, this is a great example. This is a challenge. I can do this. So quickly called back to the hotel. Please get me in touch with the limo driver. Um, please ask him to look in the back. Please have him bring it back. I'm going to stand right here where he dropped Whoa. me off. <laughs> Long story short, um, in a very short period of time, took about 20 minutes, but the, the driver came back, and he handed me my wallet, and everything was in there. Um, oh, my goodness. I, I mean, yeah, and, you know, you can get stressed out. You can start not thinking, but it was like phone calls. Okay, what do I need to do? Tick, tick, tick. And Michael, he just watched the whole time. Is there anything I can do? Just stand beside me, and don't let me panic. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, <laughs> deep breathing and, you know, all the smart things and using good language like, okay, it's going to come back. I know it's going to come back. It's just, it's just going to take some time. But, um, and I think you know that Michael and I are getting ready to take off on some, and we're getting ready to leave the country. Um, and when we're going to Europe for a month, he's, he's got a big tour. That's but right. The, he has a number I'm one gonna, hit over there, right? Right. Exactly. Um, but I know that's fun. But I'm in charge of the logistics and holding our passports and keeping papers, everything organized. And I couldn't help but think, well, this was just a fun little nudge to say. Keep everything secure because you're gonna you're we're gonna be gone for a long time, and just pay attention. Don't get distracted when you've got important stuff. Just think this through. And, and it, I mean, as soon as it was all over, we had everything in our hands. Michael looked at me and he was. I think um, this was an important lesson. It's just a great story and brings you right back to what you said that why is this happening for me? For me. That's, you know, if somebody had said that to me 20 years ago, I would have said, what? You know, because I wasn't thinking then big picture, big picture of right. why we're here in earth school, which you were laughingly referring to. But that's exactly right. what it is. So, you know, things don't just happen to us. They happen for a reason. Now, not everything. Some things are random and some things happen because other people's free will gets in the way. But I love the way you handled that. 
Or, yeah, so that, that's just fun. So I love looking at that's how the resiliency piece and then looking at um, all the things that I've learned from you and how I'm on a delightful spiritual journey here. Like, okay. Um, and it was interesting. Because, here's the, the tell for me that this all worked well because normally in a situation like that, um, a couple years ago before we, you and I connected and I'm thinking through all this, I would have definitely had an amazing tension headache by the time all it was mm-hmm. over. And I was perfectly fine. So I recognized that my blood pressure didn't go up. Um, you know, not to, you know, I'm sure it did because I was like, okay, I got to think this through. But that's, some stress is okay. That was, that was good stress. So I could manage my way through this challenge. But I didn't let it linger and then ruminate over, you know, then sitting on the plane. Wow, if we'd have lost it, what would have happened? And then go down that spiral hole. It's like, no, gee, I can hardly wait to get home. Oh, boy, what are we having for dinner? <laughs> you know, just oh, all yeah. good stuff. So how do people learn resiliency? Well, um, probably if they're taking baby steps, the easiest and most convenient way to begin to pay attention to how you can grow your resiliency is, again, through your language. Watch how you're speaking. Again, is it personal, permanent, and pervasive? Like, Um, I always fail at this, right? Right. Right. Um, and, you know, in a lot of the situations that, yeah, well, those, yeah, any situation really, it's, um, wow, I didn't, I, I missed the mark this time. And I always like to say, for me, um, you know, when people say, you know, something's happened, oh, well, you're not going to be able to do this. Well, I'm not going to be able to do it yet. There Changes we go. The whole, exactly. whole, whole dynamics. I don't, I don't and I guess um, I shared with you just before the program started um, the stereogram that you gave us when I went to your class last year, um, the 3D thing that I was always, I was told forever and ever because of the way my eyes are, um, I would never, ever be able to do, have a, be able to look at a 3D thing and see anything. It's just this is a little happen. tool that I have in my classes where you look at it. It's a two-dimensional paper, but if you can shift your focus in just the right way, it be- a three-dimensional object pops out, and you were told you'd never be able to see it. Never, never, ever. And ever since you gave that to me, I bet I look at that at least three or four times a week, and I'll pick it up, and I'll look. Well, okay, today's not the day. Not yet. Um, and so, I Ty, you, Ty, you're listening to this show. There's hope for you. See, <laughs> he says, I, know, I, I never see it. Then, He's like my, my <laughs> only student who has, who has persistently failed the test. So now we have to change his language, get him to be more that's, resilient. <laughs> that's right. Just, if he can He's just laughing. say, I don't have it yet. You can do it, Ty. You can't. <laughs> I was just, I was shocked when I came in just, it was about two weeks ago. And I came in, and I, I was, it was after the training ground session of yours, and I came in, and I just sat down, and I looked, and all of a sudden, that particular image popped out, and I raced in to my husband and said, okay, okay, I see something. Tell me if you see it. And he picked it up, and he goes, oh, yeah, I see it. I said, okay, and I, I traced it, and I said, is this what you see? And he goes, yeah, you got it. And then he looked at me, and he said, wait a minute, you're not supposed to get this. They told you you couldn't. I said, I know. <laughs> Which then he reflected back, um, isn't it interesting about faith and if you can't, you know, you can't see your spirit guides, but they're there. Exactly. And just, exactly. And, 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 and was, that's a really big lesson for people, a little bit off topic, but don't think you have to see them. I have yet to see my spirit guides, but they, even in this past week, have shown me in such a beautiful way that they 
are right here. All of us have guides. So if you're waiting to see them, you may just keep waiting. It You have to go <laughs> into the heart. And that leads to the second of the, the two things that you taught me about resiliency. Number one, watch your language and your thoughts. And number two is, uh, with one minute to go, mindfulness. Sure. Can you give us a quick definition of mindfulness? Um, sure. And um, it's really be keeping yourself open to possibilities. And and really, um, just tuning into um, your your own your your thoughts, but it's the good positive thoughts. Um, you know, not that everything has to be Pollyanna, but it's the positive thoughts that can keep you in a, in a, a really um, just a really healthy state instead of spiraling downward. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I, I think what I love the most is that. You've showed me today and hopefully everybody who's listening that you don't have to be born a Pollyanna. You don't have to uh, be mischeerful all the time and have Gilligan and um, Donnie Osmond on the wall of your office. You simply recognize your thoughts and, and your words, your language, and make a goal to change them when you see how positively it affects everybody. So thank you so much, Jill. Can't wait to see you again soon. Oh, thank you, Suzanne. I appreciate it. Make it a great day. All right. You too. And thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week right here on Messages of Hope. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.